Tonight I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 16. This is God's word for us. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to start tonight's sermon with a picture and a question. The picture should be up on the screen. And here's the question. How many trees are there in that picture? Take a look for just a second. Think about it. And now, can anyone tell me how many trees there are in that picture? Any guesses? Two? You're close. It's actually a trick question. There's a few different answers you could give. But the best answer is that there's one tree in that picture. There is one tree in that picture. It's an aspen tree. And aspens are really unique trees. They have an underground root system that grows and spreads widely. So there's that one root system that sends up a few trunks, and then it sends out roots away and sends up some more trunks. And then it sends out some more roots and sends up some more trunks. And over time, these roots keep spreading and spreading and spreading. And a single root system can become quite huge. The average tree trunk lives maybe 40 to 150 years, but these root systems can live for hundreds, maybe even for thousands of years. This picture is of an aspen system called Pando, and it's one of the largest organisms in the world. It spreads out over 100 acres. It's estimated it weighs over 13 million tons, and that one organism. That one tree, to stretch the definition of tree a little bit, has about 40,000 trunks. You wouldn't necessarily realize it by just looking at the individual trees, but they are all united by one root system. All the trees you see in that picture and tens of thousands beside them are all one thing. Deeply rooted, unified, 
and ongoing, even as it grows and changes. We're going to start out our look at, at the church tonight with the reality that the church is unified. The church is unified. Empirical evidence, our everyday experience, often points to a divided and fractured church. So it's good for us to come back to this basic point. At its root, the church is unified. And we're unified not ultimately because of anything that we do, but because of what God does for us. The church sometimes looks all fractured and separated, but if you dig down, every single member of the church in all times and all places is unified because we have our roots in God's work. We are one, and we are one because of God's work in us. There is truly one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all the church. We all share the same hope, the same assurance of living with God. All Christians share the same faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're all baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in all of God's people. The Lord Jesus saves all of God's people. The Father adopts all of God's people as his own children. We are unified. We are one because of the work of God. And God gathers. He protects. He preserves us. Time and time again, when the church is scattered, God brings us together. Time and time again, when the church is in trouble, when things are difficult, God protects his people. Where persecution grows, the church grows with it. And when the church fades off into apathy and worldliness sets in, God sends wake-up calls and he brings his people back. The unity of the church is one of the great gifts and the great realities we have as part of God's people. We here tonight are connected to a group that goes back thousands of years. If you belong to the church, you have a real deep connection with Abraham, with David, with Peter and Paul, with Augustine, with John Calvin, with billions and billions of people throughout history. All of them belong to you, and you belong to all of them. And even today, we're connected to people all around the world. On this day, again, billions of people. Billions of Christians, billions of your brothers and sisters in Christ have joined in worship. You could go just about anywhere in the world, and you might have to look around a little bit, but just about anywhere in the world, you can find brothers and sisters in Christ who gather to worship. The church is big, and it is all one because of the work of God. We have the gift of being unified but then we also have the call to be unified. This gift is also a call. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, Ephesians tells us. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God has brought us into the church. God has brought us together. And now we have the calling to live together. 
Unity in the church is not always easy, but it is never, ever optional. We in the church don't always come from the same background. We don't vote for the same political parties. We don't cheer for the same teams. We don't shop at the same stores. Sometimes we don't even like each other all that much. But because we're unified by God, we are called to live in unity. Often, far too often, life in the church is a messy business. People step on our toes, they sit in our seats, they do things we disagree with, they sing off tune, they do stuff that doesn't make any sense to us, and we do stuff that doesn't make any sense to them. But this is where we're called to be. If we belong to God, this, this is where we belong, in the church. This is tremendously countercultural. In our culture, we like to think that we all do our own thing, and if I want to be connected to someone else, that's my choice. But the image the Bible gives us of life in the church is a whole bunch of people connected. It's a picture of all of us unified. Our roots go down, and they are one. And so we should be one in Jesus Christ. This church... God's people is the place where we get to practice humility and gentleness, patience and love, peace and unity. God calls us to be united. God unifies us, and then God also gifts us. The church is gifted by Christ. Gifted by Christ. God provides the whole church And he provides each of its members what we need to do good works, to build up the church, to grow up in the faith. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4 tells us that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Every single member of the church has been graciously given, graciously given gifts for the building up of the church. And after verse 7, there's a couple verses there that sound a little funny to our contemporary ears. Let me read verses 8 to 10 again. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Scholars disagree about exactly what Ephesians is talking about there, but what it's probably pointing to is Christ's descent, his incarnation, his death, and then his ascent back to heaven where he rules from on high forever. But what's the connection between Christ ascending and him giving us gifts? What's, what's the point here? Well, people in Paul's time, people, the, the original hearers of this message would probably have had an image jump to mind when they read this text of a king coming back from battle. When we hear verses 8 to 10, the mental picture we're supposed to get is a victorious king returning from military conquest. Maybe it's been a long and difficult campaign, but the king has come back victorious. And when the king came back in ancient times, one of the first orders of business was to give gifts to his supporters, to give gifts to the army, to give gifts to all the people. When it was clear that the king had won, he distributed the fruits of his victory. And in Jesus' life, death, 
resurrection, ascension, he has gained the greatest victory of all time. Jesus has won. He's defeated the forces of darkness and evil. He's rescued his people. He's unified us. And now Ephesians says, Christ gives us gifts. The call to action in this text comes because God has already defeated evil. Any talk of unity in the church has to begin with God's work. Any talk of the work of the church has to begin with Christ's victorious work on our behalf. Christ brings us salvation. Christ unifies us. And now our Christian lives are all about living out the reality of Jesus' victory. And Jesus gives us the gifts we need to be citizens in his kingdom. And verse 11 highlights the gifts that God gives, especially to the leaders of his church. It talks about the apostles. Some are given to be prophets, some evangelists, some, pro- some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, people read that verse and they act it out in a way that really cripples the church. I have another really tough question for you tonight. Actually, two. Have you ever ridden on a bus? Raise your hand if you've ridden on a bus. Yeah, okay. And I know the people who don't raise their hands, you just don't raise your hands because you never raise your hands when people ask a question. But we've all ridden on buses, right? On the average bus, how many drivers are there? One. Yep. One is a good answer. It's easy this time, right? We've all ridden on buses. There's one driver, unless you've got a really strange bus, but we aren't going to talk about that tonight. But on a bus, one person drives, and everyone else just kind of sits there. Maybe they look out the window at what's going by. Maybe they talk to their neighbor. Maybe they listen to some music. Maybe they play some games. Maybe they sleep. It really doesn't matter that much what the passengers on the bus do as long as they don't mess with the driver. All of the passengers can pay no attention at all, and as long as the bus driver does their job, everything is going to work out fine. The church is not a bus. The church does not work right. The church is impoverished when we think that only the official leaders of the church have work to do. God's work is not done only by those of us who stand up here behind the pulpit or only by those of us who are up here on the platform or only by those who sit in the first few rows of church. Leaders do have some special gifts and a special calling, but one of the most important things that we do as leaders of the church is equip God's people. The leaders of the church are called to equip God's people so that all of God's people can do works of service and build up the church. Ministry is not the territory of just a few people in the church. Ministry is a task and a calling and a grace and a privilege for every single one of us. When we were preparing to go as missionaries and we were out raising support, we had a lot of people say to us, oh, I could never, never do that. I could never do what you're doing. And then when we came back on home services and told some stories, we had a lot of people say, oh, I could never, ever, ever do that. And there were a few people I said, well, actually, yes, yes, you could do this. And that got some great expressions, let me tell you. But more often than that, what I wanted to say to people was, okay, so you can't do this. 
That's fine. God gifts his people differently. He equips them. He calls them differently. So you can't do this. But what can you do for God? How has God gifted you? What has God put on your heart? What has he put in your life that you can use to serve him? God doesn't give all of us exactly the same gifts, but he does give all of us gifts. The church is not a bus with one driver and a lot of passengers along for the ride. This is a project that calls for all of us to be engaged. The church is an all-hands-on-deck-and-everyone-get-to-work sort of enterprise. This is a building project where we need everybody to be engaged. And if you believe in Jesus, you have been gifted. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you have been gifted. And you have been called to serve. The gifts are many. Some of us have certain gifts. Some of us have other gifts. But all of us, even you, even you, have the calling to do good works of service to build up the body of Christ. All of us are gifted And the whole body works the best when all of us work together. Christ gives all of us gifts to serve and to build up his body. And the church is continually growing up into the measure of Christ. When we work together, we we begin to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is a tall order. It is one that we never reach in this life But that's where the church is headed. We, together, are destined to grow up to the measure of Christ. That is our destination. That's our call. And when that happens, Ephesians tells us, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning cunning and craftiness of men in their schemes. Now, the original words there in the Greek bring up this image of a spinning top. Maybe you played with some of those when you were younger. Maybe you still have some around your house. But that's that toy that you take, you put on its tip, you spin it, and then it spins around and around. And depending on the type of top and the surface it's on, the thing goes back and forth. It wobbles, it hops, it kind of jumps around, and then eventually it falls over. And you can set it up and you spin it again, and it'll jump and spin around some more and then it'll fall over again. Tops are amusing to watch, but they're not the kind of thing that you want to pattern a life on. And when believers try to do everything on their own, they end up living like tops. They run here and there. They get worn out. They get blown by this teaching and that teaching, by this trick and that trick. They can't get any momentum. They fall for schemes and tricks, and then it all falls apart. When we try to get away from the church and do this faith thing on our own, we usually get it wrong. We don't grow as Christians individually by doing our own thing. We grow as Christians by coming together with the whole body of Christ and working together. We might have a different sort of building than Christians used to. We might speak a different language than some other Christians. But we need to come together with Christ's body in all times and all places and in this time in this place. We are all unified. We are all gifted. And together, 
together we grow up into the measure of Christ. And just like all of this starts with Christ, it has to come back to Christ. If the church is a body, then Christ is the head. And from Him and Him alone, the whole body is joined and held together. Every single, bo- every single part of the body, every single supporting ligament is important and has work to do. But Christ is the head, Christ is the center, Christ is the one we look to, and Christ is the one we follow. If we go back to that Aspen analogy, and we can look at that picture one more time, Christ is what roots all of us. We all might look like we're separate. We all might look like we're doing our own thing, just like those different trunks of that tree look separate. But really, all believers are connected because our roots go down to Christ. All of us are one because we are rooted in Jesus Christ. And because of that, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one church. We are one in Christ and in the Spirit, and God gives all of us the gifts we need to express that unity and to build it up. So make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Use your gifts, whatever they are, and you do have them. Use your gifts to build up the church. And in that way, we will all attain, or at least begin to attain, to the whole measure of the fullness of our Savior, Jesus Christ.